But in the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 1, look with me at verse number 5. The Bible says, Behold, ye among the heathen. <laughs> Let me say that that's you. Okay? You're among the heathen, right? I know you say you're among the brethren today, but we live among the heathen in this world. And if you can't amen that, maybe you don't know where you live at and what's going on around you. But Habakkuk says, Behold, ye among, or God says, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. This scripture is mostly used in bathroom theology. Bathroom theology is in every home that you go to when you ask me, I use the restroom or use your bathroom, and they say, yes, you go in there and there is footprints, you know, and we all know the, the poem of the footprints that you were the one that, that it, the one, when the one set was there, it was when the Lord was carrying you <clears throat> and stuff like that. But this is a bathroom theology. People for years have taken their spiritual exacto knives and cut out verse number five, pasted it on their walls, on their mirrors, and made it their life verse, and never understanding what this verse is talking about. Never understanding what God was telling Habakkuk in all of these things. To bring us up to speed today, I need to give you the porch or the background of all of this stuff. It's going to be a very large porch today because I want you to know before we go into the house of the Word of God that all of this stuff was during the time between about 776 B.C. all the way to about 596 B.C. And I know some of you didn't come today for some kind of history lesson or anything like that, but if you'll just break down that word history, uh, his story is wrapped up in all of our history. And uh, while I hated world history and American history while I was in high school, it, I've become a lover of it now, understanding that how God moved in all of these things. I have a book in the back. If you ever want to borrow it, you'd probably bring it back within an hour. It will literally, when you open it up, it will stretch all the way across this stage. It will actually stretch across three of our eight-foot tables. So that thing is huge, and I love to get that book out. And during the week when I'm studying up here and Candace sees that I'm getting it out, she goes, oh, no, we're going to end for a good message. This Sunday. And when you talk about all of these things, let me ask you something. You know what the Olympics are. Everyone in here probably knows what the Olympics are, but you may not know that in 776 BC that the first Olympiad was held in Olympia, Greece. It wasn't the first modern Olympics that we know of that only started in 1896, but it was the first Olympiad. It was actually the setting the groundwork for it all, and it lasted all the way up to like 390-something A.D., you know, in the year of our Lord. And so you think about all of this stuff that was going on, and you go, wait a minute. Habakkuk was preaching during the time where the first Olympiad was held, and, and it was kind of gaining ground a little bit and setting root in the world. Habakkuk was a, was a prophet of God. Not only was he a prophet of God, but he was also a member of the singing choir. Amen. He was the one that could sing. And so Habakkuk, when he gave this message, it was about the time of 600 to 607 uh, BC when his message came in, before Jesus Christ came to this earth. And his message was kind of paralleled alongside of. If you think in the Bible, you would go, okay, 
Well, Habakkuk preached, and then the next guy came along and preached, and the next guy came along, but that's not it. If you want to know what was going on during the time of Habakkuk, then you can also know that Jeremiah the prophet was preaching at the same time, Brother David, that Habakkuk was preaching and prophesying his message. Not only was Jeremiah a preacher at that time, but Zephaniah was a preacher and also a young prophet or a a small minor prophet by the name of Nahum was preaching. And on the scene of the whole world, you had these empires that were rising up at this time. And these certain empires that were rising up was the Assyrians, or what we would know more uh, as the Ninevites that were rising up. That They were all about the bow and the strength of the arrow and the strength of the bow, and they were, they were mighty archers when they came to war. And then you would know that there was this group of people that the Bible calls the Chaldeans, or we know as the Babylonians. They were coming up to rise. But what was also being birthed, at about this time, and it was actually in the very, very beginning or infant stages was this huge empire that we all know about during the days of Jesus that Rome was also being birthed at this time. But you say, well, Brother Steve, what was happening across the world? Uh, Confucius. Everyone knows Confucius, right? We, you, you love Confucius because you go to the Chinese restaurant and you get all of these wonderful sayings and then you, you, you go and take your lottery numbers that are on the back and never win, you know? And we know that he was a philosopher for China. And so the empire of China started their beginning also during the time of Habakkuk. Here's another pretty cool thing that you would know, but there were also Greek philosophers during this time, and as they were coming out, there was one by the name of Solon, and you would say, well, he really doesn't ring a bell, but what about his contemporary guy that was right next to him? His name was Aesop. Anybody remember Aesop? People will go, well, yeah. You remember the Aesop's fables? You know what I'm talking about? And people go, some of you still have no idea what I'm talking about. But if I said, do you remember the story of the hare and the tortoise? Were the race and why are you so slow and they started the race. All of that stuff was going on during the time. And the reason I bring you into that is because I want you to know that while you think sometimes that the Bible is dated so, so long ago, some of the things that you know in life and that you even read to your children as Aesop's fables or uh, fairy tales and things like that is that you know that these things had to take place and it's still going on. We have a word of God that can be trusted. We have a word of God that is not outdated, as people have said today. As Grace Tabernacle Church up in northern Tennessee has stated in their own on-church services that the word of God is now outdated and it no longer fits the needs of our people. And what they're trying to do is they're redefining sin so that they can allow sin to come into their service and sin to come into their worship and sin to come into the, the leadership because we all know that sinful things come into the worship because we come in to the worship but allowing that to be in leadership is to defy God's word and you have to change it or you have to say it's no longer sufficient enough I'm telling you all this to remind you that it is still a sufficient word of God that we have that it's very very applicable for today and that you don't need something new you need to just get in and understand it all so the Bible tells us, now let's look, we, we saw this world history scene on the porch. Now let's look at what's happening 
with Israel. We know that the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, that they were called, they were evil people, that they worshiped themselves. We know the Ninevites were evil people, that they actually, Brother Matt, would kill people or they would actually take them and peel their skin off of their bodies and bury them up to their necks and allow the bugs and other things to come in and to actually finish them off. And the birds and the prey of the, the fowls of the air to come down and to pluck their heads and their hairs and, and, and their bodies and, or their eyes and their noses and all this stuff off them. They were evil people. So what was going on with Israel? It should have been that Israel was the shining light of God. It should have been that Israel during this time was God's holy people that were keeping themselves clean and pure from all of these other hellish things that were going on. It should have been that they were spreading the word of God, but they weren't. In about 700 650 BC, they had kings, they had rulers over them. And some of the rulers that were in the time of Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Nahum were rulers such as Josiah. The Bible says Josiah, when he came on the scene as an eight-year-old boy, as anointed king, eight years old, right? He had to leave his Nintendo Switch to go sit on the throne, right? And I'm not talking about what we talk about today. He had to leave all of that, and he was king. And you know what the Bible says about this man? It says he never turned to the right hand or to the left hand to do evil against God. It meant that this guy was set, and he knew what he wanted to do, and that was to bring honor to God. He went through all of Israel telling them, tear down that grove. You tear down that wooden idol. You tear, tear down that altar. You, you get rid of all these false gods. Get rid of everything. And the Bible says it even came a time in his life where he even had to go to his own mother's house and he removed her from being queen and told her, you cannot have these false gods and all of these other things. Amen? And so as this was happening, the Bible says that he had priests and he had others that went to the temple because the temple had been not fully destroyed but had been messed up and had been attacked. And so now he went over there because of the Assyrians. He went and he said, I want my priests, I want the others to go and to repair the temple. And God said that it was all right for him to repair the temple. As he sent them to repair the temple, the Bible says there was a priest there by the name of Hilkiah. And Hilkiah went over, and as they were looking through the rubble, Hilkiah found a scroll down there in the rubble. Brother Brian, he brought the scroll out, and he opened it up, and he began to look at it, and he began to be so excited, and he brought it back to Josiah. And as he brought it back to Josiah, the high priest opened it up. Josiah had him to open it up, and he opened it and read it. And when he read the Word of God, which was the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. The Bible says that Josiah took his kingly garments and Brother David, he rent them or he tore them. And you know what that was a sign of? He says, we need to repent. He says, we need to get back to what that says. They had been in slavery, excuse me, not in slavery, they had been in sin for nearly 70 years. They had been doing things wrong. And when the word of God appeared, Josiah had enough guts in him and enough of the spirit of God in him, Brother Matt, to say, we need to stop doing it like we think we ought to, and we need to look into that book right there and find out what we need to be doing. And he had enough guts about him and gall about him to say, we need to repent. 
then after he died, there was one that came in after him by the name of Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz, as he came on the scene, he loved the Babylonian things, and he did not like the Assyrian things. And so he kind of favored Babylonian lifestyle or Babylonian lifestyle. Jehoahaz lasted only three short months. Before you know what happened, the Assyrians killed him. uh, Josiah also died by an arrow from the Assyrians, the Ninevites, those people. But Jehoahaz died after only three months, and then his son took his place. And his name was Jehoiakim, or as the Hebrew called him, Elkaniah. But yet, when he went on rule... The whole world seemed to be turning, and all of these powers were playing around them. So you can almost see it as if we could break it down in a football bracket today, or maybe a basketball bracket today. You had the Assyrian uh, Empire that was on the rise, and they thought, we've got Israel. We've taken Josiah by an arrow, and he's died on the way back home, right, as they led him back on a cart. Well, now Jehoahaz, we've also got him. He only lasted three months, and surely there's enough fear in Jehoiakim that we will also take him. But then in the background, you had Rome being birthed, and they're coming up, and I don't know what you would call them in the seed, you know what I mean? I don't know what seed they would take in this chart, but they were being birthed. But then here, quietly in the sidelines, they're coming in and they're conquering one after another after another and another empire and another nation after another nation are the Babylonians. They're so evil that when they come in and they ransack their their nations that they overtake, that they literally just defile everything that those nations stood for. They come in, and when they do it, it says in a moment in the book that they're like dragging a net to catch fish in, and they eat it all up, and they sit around, and they burn incense to their nets. And what it means is is they glory and they honor themselves only. Now we know in Babylonian history and all of history, there's many gods that they painted on the walls. That they're winged gods. There's some that have the head of lions. There's some that we know the image of Nebuchadnezzar we're going to get into when we get into the book of Daniel. And they worship themselves always. And they thought that they were the best thing. And this is not what scripture says. But this is what I study. They thought that they were the best thing since Wonder Bread started slicing bread pieces. They thought that they were the best. And so all of these world powers are at play, and here is Israel. And God's telling Israel, you trust in me. Are you hearing me? He says, Israel, you trust in me. You hold on to the things that are true. Hold on to the things that are pure. And for 70 years, they didn't. For 70 years, they went away from God. They constantly were going downhill instead of going uphill toward God. Their religious works were nothing more than a formality. Their priests and their religious men and leaders were leading people into idolatry, idolatry and adultery and into sin, into fornication. We're leading them into drunkenness and all kinds of things. And then God has a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. A prophet that no one probably wanted to listen to because 
All we want from him is, Habakkuk, just sing to us, son. Don't preach to us. Just sing to us because he's a wonderful singer. And Habakkuk opens up his message of prophecy with this. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, now that we can go inside the house, the Bible says the prophecy or the burden of what was going on. He says the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. There's only three things that I want to share with you today, and there's a lot of scripture, but I hope that you'll just pay attention and follow along. It's very important. This is good groundwork before we get into the book of Daniel. Habakkuk started out with these words, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. You know what that word burden means? It is mesaw in the Hebrew. Mesaw, and it means this, our first point, the prophecy. It's the prophecy. But the prophecy is not just, you don't understand. You have no idea. The prophecy or the message that we preach, that preachers preach, it's not to set up here and to try to get as many thank you cards as we can get. It's not to get the pats on the back. It's not to make you feel small or belittled. The word of God that's preached is because God put a burdened word on the man of God. And the problem with the houses of God today is that men of God are no longer in prayer. Listen, I'm telling you, on their knees seeking God for a word anymore, they are more interested in pleasing and teasing and tickling ears and getting more members and more money and more buildings and more stuff when all of those things are secondary to what we should be doing. And if you want to find a church, find somebody that has been with God throughout the week, throughout their life, seeking God with the message, seeking God about, hey Lord, I know that I should be preaching Daniel, but I can't get away from Habakkuk and what he said. Habakkuk said right here, he said, it is the burden of the Lord that's been given to me. He said, it's a message of prophecy that's been given unto me. And just because someone may get excited and say it like I do, or someone may be quiet and speak it in a soft voice, it doesn't matter if it's the burden of God upon that person. Take your ears and tune them in. And he says, the burden came to me. It's the word Massaw. It means a message or a burden or a heavy load. Let's look at Habakkuk's view. Habakkuk saw certain things. Let's look at his view. Number one, he had, as he was looking at all of these things, church, it's amazing of what he saw. And I wrote it down like this. A permissive society will redefine sin. Drunkards are no longer called drunkards. They're called alcoholics because they no longer have a problem with drinking. It's a genetic thing, and they have no control over it. A kleptomaniac, or or, or, excuse me, a thief today is now called a kleptomaniac because it's a disease and not sin. Murderers are now called victims of society. Adulterers are now merely having an affair. I mean, life is short, right? As the Ashley Madison website promoted, life is short, have an affair. Sodomy today, which is an ungodly, horrible, sinful thought to even think of. You don't even understand the word sodomy. If you understood what the definition of sodomy is, and I encourage you to go on today and look it up in your dictionary. If you don't have a dictionary, look it up on on an online dictionary and read the definition of sodomy. I'm telling you, it will make you weep to understand what people are doing to people. 
But nowadays, sodomy is only merely an alternate lifestyle. God's absolute standards are no longer considered absolute standards. They're just considered relative truths. And if it doesn't relate to me, then it doesn't mean that God's word is true. The wholesale business of aborting babies has become a civil right of a woman to be able to choose to do these things. And we put them out on markets and we do all of this other stuff. The family is run by an abusive alcoholic father and a degrading unfaithful mother, which both breed out by the hundreds, if not thousands of children who are no different from the very scene that Habakkuk was seeing in the land of Israel. They both broke and burdened the heart of God. God is displeased with our lifestyle. God is displeased, and I'm not speaking about in Washington alone. I'm talking about in the house of God. God is displeased with what's going on. We cannot continue to live and to do these things and call ourselves the people of God. We need a message from a man of God that will have the guts enough to say, we need to turn and we need to repent. And Habakkuk was that man. His view is found in verse 1 through 4. Look at what it says. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear? I even cry out unto thee of violence. He said all of these things and violence that's going on. He says, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? He says, for spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law, look at what Habakkuk says. He says, therefore the law is slapped. He's not talking about the law of God itself, but in some sense he's talking about God. He says, the law is slapped. He said, no one is getting punished for their wrongdoing. Hello, anybody been in this world for this last year? In, in the United States this last year? No one <coughs> is getting reprimanded for what they're doing wrong. He says, therefore, the law is slacked. Look at that. <clears throat> and judgment doth never go forth. No one. It's being punished for their sins. The wicked doth compass about the righteous. It says they, they surround the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. And in that definition of wrong or translation of wrong, it says, therefore, wrong judgment. He says, perverse judgment is proceeding. This is Habakkuk's prayer. Listen to me. We're going to go faster. Listen to me. He's praying. He says, God, how long am I going to have to cry? And I'm pleading with you about all the stuff that's going on. And he's talking about Israel. He's talking about his own people. And he says, how long will you continue to let these priests do this and get by with it? How many of you ever thought before when you watch the news in the afternoon and you see this priest that has molested children and you see this deacon that has molested children this pastor that has run off and used his position of being a pastor or a youth pastor to be able to bring sexual sins with other people and you stayed and you go, how long, God, will you let that happen? How long is God going to let us continue to go down this path where children are sold on the side of Interstate I-2059 before God says, enough. And I know that you're not thinking about it now, and the reason that you're not thinking about it now is because it's not your children being sold just yet. If it was your child, you would be going, God, where's justice? 
Where's righteousness? Where is the law when you need them, right? Where is all the things? But Habakkuk, in this prayer, he's talking to God. And do you know what he's saying? He's not asking for police officers and police men and women. He's saying, God, your law. How long will you let this keep going on? And it seems like your law, what he's reminding God of, and listen, not in a bitter way, but he's in weeping, and he's in mourning, and he's crying, and he says, God, how long will you keep going on in such violence? How long? Your word says that he that commits sin is worthy of death. God, how long can people keep doing this? We've thought about it. My understanding of why many people don't pray that much anymore is probably because, and this is just my speculation that gets us in trouble sometimes, but it's this. We don't pray that as much anymore because we are one of those that God's law would come down on us. It's hard to speak about these things if you've got a cross tie in your eye and you're talking about someone with a toothpick in their own eyes, what Jesus talked about. Listen, Habakkuk's view, he was burdened about it, and he questioned God. He questions and asks him how long. Habakkuk was confused by God's silence. He was. He was confused by God's not moving. Seventy years have seemed to pass, and Habakkuk understood the Word of God. He understood, Brother Bo, the Old Testament Scriptures. He understood that when the children of Israel veered away, that God did what? Fiery serpents came in and judged them in one portion of the book of Numbers. That 3,000 fell in one day at the base of Mount Sinai because of their disobedience to God. And Moses' question, who's on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Right? Habakkuk knew that. But something happened in the years of Habakkuk, as these things were, as Aesop's fables were becoming famous, <clears throat> as the Olympiad was becoming more notarized and famous, as all these empires were rising, Habakkuk thought within himself that God was quiet and he wasn't moving anymore. God, where are you? you know how many times that I've prayed, God, where's those revivals? Where's those meetings where people didn't want to leave? Not the ones where they couldn't wait to leave, but the ones where they didn't want to leave. Where's the meetings, God, where... And I'm not trying to say, listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we should always go back to, and always refer to old times. I'm just saying, where's the move of God? Where is the times after the service that, that people would come up and say, oh, Brother Steve, let's not leave, and that I'd go over to the piano, and, and we would continue to sing songs for an hour after the service, where revival meetings lasted three months instead of programmed five days. And it seems like in my lifetime that I found myself praying what Habakkuk prayed, questioning the Lord, God, are you moving are you moving? What's going on? How much longer can we abort millions of babies? How much longer can we continue to have news reports of people in religious positions of, of, of recognition, not power, but recognition, 
that continue to do these things. <clears throat> Christian comedians that are well known by some of these young people in here that even just last year was brought out that he was an absolute sexual assault on women and alcoholic when it came down to it. God, how much longer will it all take place? Right? And Habakkuk questions God. And it's okay to talk to the Father that way. It's okay to ask Him what He's doing. Habakkuk thought that God was just being silent. How much longer? And the Lord answers Habakkuk. Look at verse number 5. He says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Hang on right there. It's like almost like he's saying, Yes! Praise the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to do something in your day that you wouldn't even believe it unless it was told to you. He said, or, or if it's told to you, you won't even believe it if I tell you that. And people cut that scripture out, Charlie, and they post it on their wall, and they, they get it embroidered, you know, and, and somebody's made a, a cross-stitching thing to put on the wall, and this is the great scripture. God's going to do a work in our day that we wouldn't believe if it was told to us. But you don't understand. You don't understand what God's saying. God says, Habakkuk, I'm in charge. And I'm going to do something that you wouldn't even believe it, though I tell it to you. And some of you go, oh, man, what kind of revival are we about to encounter now? Well, let's look at it. The Bible says in the very next verse, he says, um, I will raise up, for our low, I will raise up the Chaldeans, the, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far, and they shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind, and they shall gather the captivity as the sand, and shall scoff at the kings. And the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, and they shall heap up dust and take it. And then shall his mind change and shall pass over and offend, imputing then, look at this, his power unto his God. He says that I'm going to do something that's so Martin God called it marvelous. He said, I'm going to do something so great, so wonderful, and so marvelous that you wouldn't believe it unless, he said, even when I tell you, you're not going to believe it. And Habakkuk, you can hear him. He's like, all right, Lord, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm ready for it. Give me a revival. Give me a move of God. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonian. What? At that bitter and hasty nation. And Habakkuk's like, you're exactly right, God. They're bitter and hasty. They trust in themselves. He said they're going to come in and they're going to march through the whole breadth of the land and they're going to take everything. They're going to take it as though they're mounting up uh, the dust of the earth and they're going to conquer it. Basically what they're going to do is they're going to come in and challenge you to king of the hill and they're going to knock you down every time you try to come up to the top. And Habakkuk cannot understand this and neither can I. We don't know God's ways. For they are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And we look around us even in a nation today 
who has declared our standing for years on what? On God, on the Son of Jesus Christ, that we have declared Judeo-Jewish and Christian values in this nation to where even years ago we put on our money, this is the motto in which we believe, in God we trust. Not in God's. Not in a plurality and all people, but in God, capital G-O-D. They knew what they were saying when they put it on the money. They knew that it was the God of all gods, the God of the Hebrews, the God called Jehovah, and we trust in his son. They signed a declaration on a big old boat one day as they were all gathered together in the hull of that boat as they came over from the other side of the pond and sailed over here to advance the Christian faith. In 1620, they signed it all and said, we call this the Mayflower Compact in 1760-something, but they all agreed together that we've come here for one reason, and our main, main reason is this, to advance the Christian faith. And we believed that for years and for years and for years. We stood in our schools and we pledged allegiance to the flag. We stood in our schools and sang, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Amen? We would sing, God bless America. We would do these things. When towers fell in 2001, Congress all themselves stood on the steps of the Capitol or the Congress building and they all sang, God bless America. Land that I love, stand beside her and guide her with the light from the, excuse me, through the night with the light from above. Amen. You think about this. We always have believed this, but slowly we are eroding from that foundation. And we are looking around at other nations that are rising up and we are wondering in our minds what is going on because if that religion of that nation rises up above, then there is going to be mass killings, mass things. All of this stuff would be wrong because they do not believe in life and in God. They don't value life like God values life because he gave life and that is where we are today. And in the church, we are saying, God, where are you? In the church, do you know what I've heard in this last year more than anything? Brother Steve, I am not worried about myself. Because when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Some of you have got it all figured out that you're at the age already to where you're just past it all and it's no big deal. If you die now, you've had a good life and you can just go on and go to heaven. And I hear those people say this statement, but I'm worried about my children. I'm worried, you know how many times I've heard this statement? Brother Steve, I'm worried about this world for my grandchildren. And it's okay to be concerned. It's wrong to worry, but it's okay to be concerned. And you say, what will we do? What are we going to do? Habakkuk was in that position. Let me get to these things and kind of wrap this up. So now Habakkuk heard the Lord's answer. But Brother Daniel, it didn't suffice him. It didn't satisfy him. Because Habakkuk, God, let me ask you this again. Look at what it says in verse number 12. Habakkuk questions God again. And he says this. He says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast anointed, or excuse me, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. 
Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He says, how could you do this? He says, are you not? It's almost as Habakkuk is saying, has someone broken in on the phone line? Has someone broken through on this prayer line that I'm praying? Because God, are you, are you my God, my holy one? Are you my God? Are you the, the Lord that is from everlasting to everlasting? He said, and to have this wicked people come in and to do this thing, Brother David, he says, God, that's beyond you. You know, there's some people that, that they also take their exacto knives and take this scripture out of context. And they try to pass off this kind of idea that God cannot look upon sin. And therefore, they talk about when Jesus died on the cross and the sky got dark, Brother Craig, that, that God couldn't look upon sin. And so God turned his back on his son and forsook him, and he couldn't look upon sin because the book of Habakkuk says that God can't look upon sin. The scripture right there, Brother Rouse, is not saying that God can't look upon sin. It's Habakkuk's answer to God going, aren't you the Holy One? Aren't you the everlasting to everlasting? He says, your eyes are too pure to look upon sin. Let me say something to you to show you that God is not powerless to look upon sin. Because when you came and got saved, he looked upon you and you are sinful. When Jesus died on the cross, if Jesus tells us that I will not forsake you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, God never left his son. Even David prophesied about it in the Old Testament. He said, you will not suffer your Holy One to stay in what? In the grave, amen? So the Bible doesn't teach us that God can't look upon sin. I'm glad that even when I was the most ugliest, sinful in the guttermost, that God could still look upon me. That God didn't go, just get away from me. I can't even look at you, boy. No, he says, come to me. Amen. He said, call on me, and I will make you new. That, that, that's what this scripture is talking about. So don't get it mixed up and cut it out. Read the whole context. He says, Lord, you're of too pure eyes to, to be able to look at this. Matt, he was trying to convince God that this, there's no way that you could be doing this. No way you would want to go this route, God. Now, I know that some of you are a little bit more holier than Habakkuk, and you've never thought that before, right? You've never thought that. Well, when you're in the valley, there are times that you go, Lord, you sure you want me to go through this? Seriously? Even a couple of weeks ago when, on a Sunday morning when I wanted to be here to preach Habakkuk and I was as fired up then as I am now. I'm like, Caleb, I was as fired up then as I am now. And the, the nurse looks at me and goes, you have COVID. Gave me a piece of paper and said, see you later. I've already had COVID. You did, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lightning strikes twice, evidently. And you sit there and you go, God, this, how can this be your plan? What I still got preaching to do. So you got all this stuff to do. How can this be your plan? And you think about it, and I know that we all get this way. Habakkuk was this way, and he, he ended. Let me, let, me, let me wrap this up. He says these people kind of come in, and, and, and they take nations like men take fish out of the sea. He said they don't do it in, in an easy way. They come through with all their drag nets. And he said and at the end of it all, if you look in that scripture, he says they sacrifice under their net, and they burn incense under their drag. He says because by them their portion is fat and their meat is plenteous. 
Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? He says they worship themselves, they honor themselves, and they come in. He says, God, there's no way that this is you. But here's the next point, this point number two, and we're, the last two will take a little bit. It won't, it won't take very long. Listen, let's look at this, the persuasion. The burden in the beginning that he had, the prophecy that he had, it was just, Habakkuk was moved and was like, God, I'm, I'm just so burdened. He's still burdened in prayer. But now God's going to teach him. This persuasion, the word persuasion means to teach someone, to persuade them to come to the understanding of truth. And God speaks to Habakkuk. But listen to what Habakkuk does in verse 1 of chapter 2. The Bible says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower or the garrison. He says, and will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. It's almost like Habakkuk is speaking to himself, Brother Matt. It's like he's saying, all right, I've told God and I've prayed. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sit and I'm going to listen. You know what? If you really wanted a life verse for your life, I know that Romans 8, 28 and John 3, 16 and 1 John 1 and 9 are very good verses for life verses. But if you want a life verse for your Christian life, I, won't you take this one? Instead of chapter 1, verse 5, about God doing a work you wouldn't believe unless it was told to you, because <laughs> you took it out of context, won't you take this one? You know what this one teaches you? It teaches you that every single day of your life, you don't know what God is exactly doing, and you need to be teachable. Habakkuk told the Lord what was on his heart, and then he said, and I will now wait for the Lord. He didn't say, okay, God, I told you what I thought, and I'm going my way. Habakkuk said, I, I've talked to the Lord. Now I'm going to stand upon my watch. I'm going to sit upon the tower, upon the garrison. I'm going to sit on the wall here, and I'm just going to watch and see what he'll say to me. And then look at the last words. He says, and I will see what he says whenever he answers me, and I am reproved. And I am corrected. Habakkuk had a teachable spirit. And oh, what, man, what God wouldn't do for all of us to have a teachable spirit. The problem with us today is that we are so set in our religious ways that God can't even get what he wants into us because we're too stubborn. Some people, listen to me, are too Baptist that they can't even be a Christian. You, what are you talking about? They're so wrapped up in Baptist. They're so wrapped up in Pentecostal. They're so wrapped up in Catholicism that they're missing the whole thing. They're not teachable because why? They go, well, that's not what my granddaddy said, or that's not what my priest said, or that's not what my preacher said. What did God's word say? God had just spoken to Habakkuk and told him what was going to happen, and he had to sit back and go, okay, God, I'm going to be teachable. And I'm going, he didn't do like Jonah and go, I don't care what you say, you need to get them. And I'm going to sit here and watch while they all burn up like a fireworks show. Habakkuk didn't do that. He says, I'll listen to you, Lord. And so God answers Habakkuk again. Look at verse number 2 of chapter 2. And you can write these things down. I won't go through all of them. You go home and you can read these. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 2. Look what it says. And the Lord answered me. I'm so, so thankful for that, Brother David. I'm telling you, when you're in prayer with God, some of the greatest words you will ever hear somebody say is, God's answered me. The Lord has answered me. And he said this, look, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, look at these words, it shall speak. 
I'm going to just kind of hang out right there, and we're going to summarize some of the other. I want you to go home and read it later. But I want you to look at those main words that are right there right now. He says, Habakkuk, write it down. He said, son, write it down. If I could tell you Christians to do anything, especially you preachers to do anything, God wakes you up in the middle of the night and he's talking to you, you need to have a sticky pad by your bedside. Because if you don't write it down, you're going to get up in the morning, crank the bus up, and you're going to go, God, please tell me again. <laughs> you're going to go, please speak to me again. I forgot it. <clears throat> and I forgot to write it down. I take my phone and write down those things. When God comes and sweeps across my heart, I take my cell phone out and my eye notes and I write them down. 670-something of them right now. I write them all down, you know. Andrew Johnson is just waiting on the day that I die so he can put them all on Facebook. <clears throat> He's told me that. <clears throat> He's already asked for that in the will. Hey, I write them down. You know why? God told the back it. He said, write the vision down. He said, you write these words down because people need to know what I'm fixing to do. Write it down word for word. And he said it in this scripture right here. Look at what he says. He says, make it plain upon tables. Because what he did, church, is that the Old Testament prophets would write these things down either on carved wooden tables or tablets or on stone, and they would hang them on the outside of their homes. And they, he told him, you, when you write it down, he said, you make it so plain and so large that even he that runneth will read it and that the one that does read it will run and take it away in both instances it actually carries in that hebrew term that the one that is passing by fast that can read it he said not only that so that the one that does read it will also pass by and go and tell somebody else he said write down the vision look at the next words that he said in verse number one he says for the or verse two for the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it shall speak he says listen I'm not going to allow the Babylonians to come in for the whole time and they'll be raised up as my people he said no you know what Jeremiah said remember Habakkuk and Jeremiah are preaching at the same time frame you know what Jeremiah said he said for 70 years all you've done, Israel, is committed sin. You know what Jeremiah's message was? For the next 70 years, you're going to be in bondage. That's what he said. He said, 70 years, all you've done is go away from me. And God's told me to tell you, you priests, you preachers, in, in Jeremiah chapter 23, he says, woe unto the priests, unto the preachers who would lead their sheep away. In Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, did they commit abomination and blush? He said, no, when they committed abomination, they didn't even blush about it. And he said, because you lived this way for 70 years, God has now declared you'll be in bondage for 70 years. He even told and prophesied, he said that they're going to come in and take the king and they're going to lead him out of here you're going to watch him march out of here and did you know that word for word that happened that Jehoiakim whenever he passed away that they took him and took his body and throwed him off the temple walls and they buried him like a wild donkey you say what's the burial of a wild donkey they tied a rope to him drug him out into the wilderness and left his body out there to rot and then another one came in by the name of Jehoiachin. And Jehoiachin was not appointed by God to sit on the throne. As a matter of fact, God told Jehoiachin that you are so evil, you'll never have a seed set on the throne of David. And never again did Israel have a king set on the throne until Jesus Christ comes and sits on the throne. 
Zedekiah was the king of Israel, Brother Steve. None of them were appointed by God or by Israel because Israel, when Babylon came in and overtook them, they ceased to be a nation and they are still yet to be a full nation today. They have no king residing over them until King Jesus comes, puts his foot on this land, and he will be sitting on the throne of David forever. Zedekiah, Jeconiah, or not Jeconiah, uh, Coniah, Jeconiah, Coniah, his name. He was appointed by the king of Babylon, not by God. And so therefore his kingdom is not true. Hang with me, church. This is very good. You need this. More than any other thing in your life, I'm telling you right now, this is what you need. Give me at least seven to ten minutes. I'm going to go to the last thing, and it's the praise of it all. It's the praise of it all. You have to know that they're going to come out of bondage someday because it's an appointed time. And we're going to learn that in the book of Daniel because Daniel lived throughout that whole 70 years of bondage. We're going to see that word for word and verse by verse. But I want you to look with me in your Bible, and I'm going to take just a little detour, a shortcut for you real quick. I want you to see what he says in chapter number 3 is Habakkuk. As he writes down the vision, and as he begins to pray to God, look at verse 1. He says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shignoth. I like that word, don't you? Listen, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, and in the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. He says, God came from Tehran, or Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Listen to, listen to Habakkuk praising God in this prayer. He says, before him went pestilence, and burning coals <coughs> went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth and beheld and drove asunder the nations. And everlasting mountains were scattered and perpetual hills did bow down and his ways are everlasting. He said, I saw the tents of Kushan or Kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? <clears throat> Was thy wrath against the sea or didst thou ride upon thy horses and thy chariots of salvation? He says, thy bow was made quite naked. According to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of water passed by the Lord. The deep uttered his voice, and the deep lifted up his hands on high. It's talking about the waves of the ocean. As they come in, they're like praising God as they're lifting their hands on high. Amen. That's why I think we ought to do the wave in church. He says, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation, and the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. He said, thou didst march through the land in indignation, and thou didst stress the heathen uh, in anger. Thou wentest forth for thy salvation, of, or for thee salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. 
Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked. Thou discoverest by discovering the foundation of the neck. Shalah. He says, Thou didst strike through with his staffs and the heads of the villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses. Thou, he says, through the heap of great waters. And listen to what Habakkuk said. He said, When I heard it, Habakkuk says, and when I realized what you were doing, God, when I realized after you taught me, he said, my belly trembled. He said, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness, bitterness, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself. He said, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will divide them with his troops. Habakkuk said, God... I've learned. I've learned that when you do all this, all this stuff's going to happen. I've learned, God. I, I know. It, it's in my, it made my belly tremble. To know the judgment of God and what would come. So I'm not trying to scare you to be saved. But to know God's judgment, listen, it didn't scare the Babylonians. So I'm not trying to scare you as an unbeliever to be saved. I'm telling you right now, it should bother you as a Christian. It should stir you up. When John, in the book of Revelation, God gave him a little book to eat. He said it was sweet to the mouth, like honey. But when it went into his stomach and he understood it, he digested it, he said it was bitter. You know why? Because he understood the fulfillment that there are people that are not going to make it. And Brother Rouse, that's, that's tough. That's hard. If you think for one minute that I would ever be pleased with somebody that's lost, walking away lost from any of the services that we've ever had at our church, you're mistaken. My prayer is that everyone would come to know him. And Habakkuk said, when I understand what you're talking about, God, he said, it makes me quiver inside. will not stand with sinfulness, and that your holiness will not put up with unrighteousness, and therefore you will judge it all. And when he comes in, he says, those people that were living like sinful nations, you know what God said? I'm going to let those sinful nations that they've fallen in love with come in and overtake them. And do you know what happens to all of us when sin comes into our lives? nor the judgment is, it's when God says, I'm going to remove myself from convicting you over and over since you don't want to hear me. And I'm going to allow you to love that sin. And I'm going to tell you something, that sin is going to come in and destroy you someday. Alcoholism, livers dried up, messed up, eyes turn yellow, people die. Drug addicts are found dead on sides of the road. Adultery, sexual diseases, messed up marriages, foundations of home. You know what happens is, is that God says, I'm going to allow, go ahead, but it's not going to end well. And it won't. So Habakkuk learned. What was it Habakkuk learned? Look at this verse. Chapter 2, verse number 4. He says, but his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You see those words? Keep that up there. The just shall live by his faith. Do you know what? 
God was saying to us through the book of Habakkuk? He was saying, what is written has to be trusted. He said, Habakkuk, write it down. And after you write it down, you know what you have to do? You have to trust it. What we need to do today is trust what's written. How do we trust what is written? By faith. By faith. It ain't always by sight. This world is crazy right now. This world is chaotic. Ask some of these older people. You younger people, ask some of these older people how different the world is today. Ask them. And they'll tell you. But what they need to tell you is that, son or <coughs> ma'am, hold on. You go up to one of these old saints of God and, and they tell you, well, it's just all bad and ain't nothing going to get better. And that's all they say. You look at them and tell them, but what should we do? Hopefully they'll say, you hold on. You have faith. You hold on. Oh, but I'm worried about my kids, Brother Steve. Teach them as much as God of God as you can right now. Oh, I'm worried about my grandkids and, and my, my, my children won't teach my grandkids. Get some time or another to teach your grandkids about Jesus. Make them some biscuits. Cook them a meal. Do something with them. Bring them over to the house. Tell them about Jesus. If the parents won't tell them, you tell them about Jesus. You know why? Because in the midst of the world that is to come, if God tarries, it's not going to be better. If the world tarries and God says, I'll suffer them to continue and go on, we've got to stop saying that our answers will come with a new man in the White House. We've got to say our answer, son or daughter, is not found in those governing principles, but it's found in the God who governs all principles. That our hope is in nothing less than in Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? The Bible says, hold on. Paul quoted Habakkuk, thought it was so great that he quoted it. Listen to what he said. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed <coughs> from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, that's us, shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews thought it worthy enough to put it in there. Hebrews 10, 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. Hey, man. A little while. Jesus that said he's going to come is going to come. I, that, I'm telling you, that should stir you up. And he will not tarry. But look, now, us, right now, the just shall live by faith. Don't turn back. You turn back, God has no pleasure. Habakkuk learned about it. But Habakkuk had to do this. And I love this. There's been times I've been up here preaching and my back was killing me. Fixing to go that week and have a surgery. People say, well, how in the world did you preach? I leaned on this pulpit. Leaned on it. Habakkuk learned, but Habakkuk learned how to lean. There's an old song that says, Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean. Learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. You have to lean sometimes. You have to lean on the faith. And Habakkuk did that. Listen to what he closed with, and I'll close today. Chapter 3, 
Look at verse 17, 18, and 19. 17, 18, and 19. Get you a highlighter and highlight this bad boy all through. Bright yellow. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive oil shall fail. And the fields, or excuse me, the labor of the olive shall fail. And the fields shall yield no meat. Habakkuk said, Brother Craig, And even if the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. Amen. And he will make me to walk upon high, mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Amen. Ain't that good? He said, if the fig tree never blossoms, if Israel is never restored, he said, if there's no sheep in the stalls, if there's no food in the cupboard, he said in verse number 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what you need to teach your children. If there's no iPhone, if there's no Wi-Fi, if we have no power at home, yet we will rejoice in the Lord. Because why? The God of our salvation is our strength. Amen. Habakkuk was the last message that was preached to Israel by a prophet before they ceased to be a nation. Habakkuk was the last prophet to preach to them. It's kind of like the last call, Brother Mitch. If it's my last message to preach to you today, I'd want it to be. I've always thought I wanted to be like Paul. But the more I've studied Habakkuk, I'd like to be like Habakkuk. If my last message could be the last one, I would like it to be this one. Because you know what the Hebrew word for Habakkuk means? Hannah, it means to hug or embrace. His name means to embrace. And Habakkuk is not doing this. He's trying to get a nation. He's saying, come to the Lord. Though the Lord, Job said it, though he slay me, yet I will serve him. Some of you are so messed up by news reports and you've become so bitter and angry at this world about a shot or not a shot, all this stuff, and you've let it just kind of cloud your mind up. And what people need to see us saying and to see us doing is not bitterness and anger and, and why this guy's right and this guy's wrong and why we follow this one and don't follow what they need to see us you're a believer the just us they need to see us saying no matter what happens in this world I will serve him yet I will serve my God that my trust listen my hope is in him that's what they need to see bring your anchor Bring your bitterness right now to the Lord and tell him right now. Not wait on them, but right now. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry for letting this distract me. For letting this come in and kind of just blindside me. These, this, this stuff that's going on in the world and all this is happening, it's, it's really taken a hold on me this year. And I've been distracted by it. Lord, help me not to be bitter. Lord, even, even to the point, my prayer was this. Lord, help me to be quiet. If I need to just shut up and be quiet, Lord, please just let me be quiet. 
I don't have to comment on everything. Lord, when they start talking about this one and this president and that president, Lord, let me just, let me brag on you during those times. Give, give me the strength and understand the wisdom to just step in and change the conversation and, and point it all to you. And maybe that's you. You just let all this stuff sidetrack you and Man, it's just got you just so angry to where you'd go to bed at night and you, you'd flatten a ball bearing just chewing on it. It's mad, bitter. God don't want you to live that way. God needs us as the church today to be what Israel needed to be in their day. To be a light. To be a flashlight. Amen? Shining upon Jesus Christ. Did you know, Brother Brian, I, I promise, I'm closing. Did you know that being a flashlight wasn't this way, Wes, where he goes, oh, look at that sinner right there. That's what most Christians use their flashlight for. Look at that sinner right there. They take the word and they go, you're wrong, 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 wrong. No. Flashlights that he's called us to be a lot is we're supposed to be flashing our light and shining it upon Jesus. We don't shine it on the, the problem. We shine our lights into the solution. Amen. I'm asking you today, if that's you, alongside with me, right there where you are, right here in this altar. Invitation time. If you need a song, that's fine, whatever, to do it. Say, Lord, help me. Father, we thank you. Lord, as always, this is your, your service. Everything that we do, singing, preaching, it all belongs to you. And I ask you that you'd help us.